Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Well, greetings, friends, on this second Sunday of Easter, another day of celebration where we come to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior and proclaim that he has conquered the grave. And we do that every Sunday. We celebrate the resurrection because we are Easter people. I bring you greetings of peace, hoping that you are well and healthy. I wish we could be together this Sunday in person, but I think we can relate in some ways to this gospel text today um, of the disciples being locked away as we're kind of um, not meeting in person this Sunday and just uh, being careful as we proceed forward. Our gospel reading this morning begins in fear and anxiety as the disciples are hidden away from the religious authorities. They were in fear for their lives that they too, like Jesus, would suffer death at the hands of the religious authorities and the Roman Empire for being followers of Jesus. If you read a little earlier in John 20, we know that the disciples were aware that the tomb was empty. Mary Magdalene even declared, I have seen the Lord after her resurrection encounter. And previous to the crucifixion, in John 14, Jesus told the disciples he would be going away, that their hearts were not to be troubled because he was going to leave them a gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit that would come and be with them forever. We would think from all this that the disciples would rejoice in seeing the empty tomb. They would celebrate and wait in anticipation for the Spirit to come and hoping that they also will see Jesus. But instead, fear takes control, and they hide their small group away in the dark of night and lock the door behind them. In their own unbelief and uncertainty, Jesus appeared among them in that locked room. He entered the space where the disciples were residing and said, peace be with you. Imagine how the mood must have changed from those first words, hearing that familiar voice and a greeting of peace. Jesus's presence must have been shocking and reassuring all at the same time. And by these first words, Jesus is not only speaking a greeting of peace, but is literally entering into the space as peace, entering as Emmanuel among the very present and real fear the disciples felt in that moment. We too are given this gift that in our own fear, anxiety, doubt, disbelief, sadness, Christ comes into the midst of that and is with us and brings forth peace, new life, and grace. And it's through the resurrection and the conquering of death that Jesus enters into that role. And shortly after this encounter, Jesus commissions the disciples to continue the kingdom work. Jesus says to them, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. They were to go out, but this time they were to receive a gift that would equip them for the journey. Just as God at creation breathed life into Adam, Jesus breathes on the disciples, breathing new life, new identity, ushering in the spirit that would equip them in taking up their cross to continue the mission that Jesus started, 
going out to preach the good news and offer forgiveness. And then we have Thomas, the disciple who missed this episode completely and heard the testimony from his fellow disciples and still had unbelief. It is significant to point out that Jesus comes back a week later, appearing to Thomas, not to rebuke him for his unbelief, but to show up in it, reveal himself to Thomas. What a gift to witness that firsthand. Not everyone would be able to witness Jesus in this way, but would have to have faith in the testimony given by those who have seen this take place. This intimate encounter between Jesus and the disciples was the spark of something new. Fear was replaced with a boldness and confidence through the witness of the resurrection to go, receive the Holy Spirit, and proclaim the good news. We see in the text from Acts today a peek into what the community life was like in the early church. New life and community took root as people unified around the testimony of the resurrected Christ. The text tells us that the community began to knit together as one heart and soul. And we see this beautiful picture unfold of the blessings that happen when community comes together. No one in this community is in want because there is enough to go around. Through Jesus' sacrificial love, we too live into that sacrifice by responding to that love, by in turn being a sacrifice to one another, stirred into action by the Holy Spirit, so that all may experience the fullness of joy and grace that are found in God. The psalm further paints this morning the beauty that unity brings in such communities. Behold how good and pleasant it is for kindred to dwell together in unity. This psalm is known as a song of ascents, meaning that this would have been a psalm recited during the Jewish community's ascent or going up to the temple in Jerusalem three times a year for festival seasons. There is a gathering of all people from many different regions in Israel that happened in these early festivals. A coming together, reconciliation of land and people in celebration of the Lord. We could say our song and phrase of ascent in Easter is, Hallelujah, Christ is risen. Jesus Christ is risen today. Those songs and phrases are what gathers and calls us today to announce the good that has happened. And we as a community come together to respond to that goodness. We do this every Sunday because every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. And we proclaim this good news gathered in community around font and table. A little harder these days, sometimes to physically be together but we have found new ways to come together as the body of Christ. But we should look today at our current reality in light of these texts. I think it would be fair to point out that we may view these scenes and moments in the readings today as some serendipitous happenings, lively communities filled with positivity, energy, life, newness, acceptance, 
everyone getting along and working toward the common good. But if we look, for example, at Israel's history in the Bible, it has been steeped in disunity throughout the biblical text. It struggled, even under David, who was the great unifier. There was disunity when Israel split between the north and the south, and great chaos also came from outside threats as well. And the disciples also had some difficult journeys ahead within their early church communities. It wasn't easy having open churches. Most of them had to meet in secret. It was still a dangerous mission to spread this good news, and many were martyred for their beliefs. And as we consider our own church communities, we can openly say that no church is perfect, nor has all the answers. Disagreements and clashes do happen. We live in a world right now that is steeped in stressful circumstances and, and many issues that cause more division that are settled in fear and strike in defense. So if we, like the disciples, are called to go, to receive the spirit that has been given to us, to forgive one another, to believe and share this good news, how do we move forward with this to keep the church community going in the midst of disunity that is present in our world, that is in the midst of brokenness in our world? We all come from different life experiences and perspectives, especially in our Christian journey and how we encounter Christ. I will say that my life experiences have taken me down some different religious paths in my own faith journey. I was raised Lutheran and my parents sent me to Catholic school when I was younger. And when I was in high school, I attended a Pentecostal church. Very different perspectives from my Lutheran upbringing. I've taught at Christian universities, most of which would be considered conservative or fundamental in their affiliation. And each of these communities played an important role in the development of my faith. I've taken some things along, other ideas I've discarded as I shaped my faith. But do you know what I learned as a Lutheran immersed in these different Christian communities. I learned about the reality that churches sometimes see other churches as a threat. I heard more defense of their own religious traditions and a talking down of others. It happens. It happens to all of us. It's a defense mechanism spawned by our want to be correct, which is rooted in our ego and fear. And I think even today we're being pulled apart further in a cancel culture that wants to redefine what grace really means. We all have blind spots. We don't always see the full picture when we just look through our own cultural and religious lenses. When we see our story as the only perspective, we put blinders up literally in our ideas and in our service and can miss the spirit in action in the moments that make up God's bigger story and plan. How do we foster an atmosphere of one heart and soul within the church community 
and ecumenically that welcomes and invites honest and diverse conversations and allows for peace to be present in disagreement. Can we sit with more questions than answers? Do we long for unity in Christ, which recognizes the vast difference in the people of God? Or do we desire to create a God around uniformity? Perhaps we can consider that unity in Christ means for us to go and be present where the spirit calls without judgment or correction. Just to go and serve as a living sacrifice of love for whoever we encounter. I read a book last semester in seminary by Amos Young, who is a theologian and Pentecostal preacher. And the book's entitled Hospitality and the Other. And in it, he talks about a mutual exchange between people, the extension and receiving of hospitality through the early church and our own Christian journey, especially in interreligious relationships. I wanna read you a quote from an interview he did regarding his book. It's a little bit long, so here it goes. He states, quote, when we think about the interreligious encounter, we want to invite the religious other into our space. And that's important and good, but that's half of this notion of hospitality. Because when we invite the other, whether it's the religious other or any other into our space, we're still establishing the framework of this space of hospitality. We're still the folks in charge. So if we're in charge, the others will always abide on our terms. Trinitarian hospitality is less about being hosts and more about being guests. This challenges us to not be in charge. It challenges us to go. And more than that, it challenges us to go in ways that make others comfortable about inviting us, about hosting us. And then it finally challenges us to enter into those spaces as appropriate guests, like we would want people entering into our space to be guests. This invites a kind of way of being spirit-filled that isn't in charge, that is open to surprise, that's open to the other in others' terms. We are not here on an agenda. We are on God's agenda in those spaces, end quote. My husband, Trevor, and I have some friends who were Baha'i. And the Baha'i faith doesn't have any fancy church buildings. They do a lot of worship within the home. The devotion time was always centered around food and reading aloud holy writings and listening to music and poetry. Trevor and I, as Christians, were invited and welcome to partake in devotion time. It was definitely a space that spoke of Young's ideas on Trinitarian hospitality. There was no conversion efforts, no justification of one's religion, just simply being present as guest and host in community with one another around sacred texts and amazing food. One evening, we went to a devotional that was focused on love 
and we were each given a card to read aloud that had different writings from various faiths on love. It was amazing for me to see the similarities between the texts on love sitting right there in the different religious traditions. I arrived as a Christian and left as a Christian, but I can say that my faith from that experience was overflowing through that communal, one heart and soul experience. Unity, true unity is moved by the spirit's lead to go which sometimes guides us to sit in interesting spaces and also uncomfortable spaces. Unity calls us to broaden our perspective and keep the spirit of hospitality open without control or limits. Unity is seeing that we are all on a journey, still developing and being shaped by our experiences. Unity is not perfection, but it is dwelling in hope to continually create and experience beloved community that boldly declares we are both sinner and saint, continually in need of God's grace. Unity is pressing toward one heart and soul so that all can experience the love of God. We need bridges that keep conversation going and relationships as a work in progress. We need to come together amid difference and speak peace. We cannot lock ourselves away in fear and anxiety. We can't lock ourselves away with only the people we feel safe with. We are Easter people who are filled with the spirit and called to go wherever that may be. We need to remember that Thomas may have been unfit for the club in that moment in the disciples' eyes. But the good news is despite his unbelief, Jesus still showed up and said, peace be with you. Peace be with you, dear friends. Go church, let the spirit lead, forgive and believe. We are Easter people. Thanks be to God. Amen. <laughs>